ברוכים הבאים. We are going to be speaking in some capacity about prayer tonight mm-hmm. and um, the approaches to it, what, why, where, I think is how we kind of advertise it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to open listening to you. I'm interested to hear in your perspective and what it is that you, where you would like to draw this discussion. So mm-hmm. I'm sending it over to you and you can open up with, You know where you th- where where there are so many many ways we can go with this sure. conversation. So we're going to be kind of freestyling it tonight a bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I toss it to you. Let's open up. Well, thank you, Rabbi. So I because I have had the pleasure of speaking about this issue a little bit. Before I haven't introduced you properly, Rabbi Dweck. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, you get you. Can... You should introduce yourself to the audience. Introduce okay, the audience. sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Sam Liebens. I am a uh, philosopher at the University of Haifa. I'm speaking to you today from Netanya, uh, where I live. And um, well, it's late for you tonight. It's it is. It's already 10.30. So, so if, if I'm not, you know, um, um, dialectically dazzling and, and <laughs> linguistically eloquent. You're uh, always it's, such. You are always such. <laughs> Thank you, Abai. You should know it's just because it's late, late at night. That's the only reason. Um, and I, I've had the pleasure of discussing with Rabbi Dweck in, in, you know, without being broadcast uh, online, um, some of the, the issues I want to talk about tonight. And in actual fact, I see, I see my role here as something of a uh, provocateur because um, I, have, I, I think I have some qualms or worries um, about how we should relate to prayer if we were to adopt um, a totally orthodox Maimonidean philosophy or theology. Um, I would say it's lucky for us in the orthodox world that Maimonidean theology isn't the only option uh, kind of uh, on the map. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a great admirer of the Rambam. Um, I think on some issues, Uh, Rabbi Dweck and I slightly uh, um, read or understand the Rambam differently. Um, and I, th- you know, though I don't, I take no pleasure in disagreeing with Rabbi Dweck. Um, I, I, see my, I see my role slightly as the provocateur because I think that, that by bringing out some of the things, in, in, uh, some of the, the um, dimensions along which we differ might, might lead to a more fruitful, if explosive, discussion. I was going to say you're in the rabbinic minority with regards to not wanting to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, I know. God bless you. God bless you, sir. You. I, I, yeah. I don't like conflict at the best of times. Um, yeah. But, okay, so, so I, I, will, I will present how I understand some of the key features of Maimonidean theology and why I think they make prayer something less than it could be. And then I'll, I'll, I'll let Rabbi Dweck respond and tell me why I have either misunderstood the Rambam's theology or I've misunderstood um, how it interacts with the significance of prayer. Is that okay? Okay. So, um, as I understand it, intellectually, the Rambam arrives at his theism via a cosmological argument. And 
the cosmological argument is an argument that starts with the observations of the universe around us and arrives at God as the um, only plausible cause of the existence of this cosmos in which we find ourselves. Now, um, what this leads to is a number of quite radical um, ramifications or consequences for one's theology. Because ultimately, like I said, we arrive at God, so to speak, to play a role in our explanation of the universe. And in particular, the Rambam thinks that there must be a God to explain causation, motion, and change. We see all around us patterns of cause and effect, causal processes, things changing. We live in a world of flux. And for one reason or another, I don't want to get into the kind of nitty gritty details of the cosmological argument. And in fact, the Rambam has multiple uh, arguments for God's existence in the Monobuchim. Um, he arrives at God as the first cause, the uncaused cause. There needs to be one thing which isn't an effect and is only a cause, because otherwise you'd have this infinite chain and being would have no foundation. Somewhere there needs to be a cause that wasn't itself the effect of a cause. That's God. Somewhere there needs to be something that puts things into motion without being moved itself, because otherwise our explanations have to keep going back and we'd never reach a foundation. What this means is that God is unmoved, right? Nothing can cause a change in him. He's unchanging, uncaused, unmoved, because he's the explanation of causation, change, and movement. But there are some other consequences. So, for instance, when the Bible describes God as changing his mind, that, that has to be a metaphor, because if we're going to reconcile the findings of philosophy and science with the Torah, which the Rambam was, and rightly so, um, doggedly committed to the notion that those two sources of knowledge should be reconciled. If the Tanakh makes it sound like God changed his mind about something, that has to be a metaphor, right? So, so in, in Pashat Pereshit, when uh, God is uh, presented as regretting having made man because of rak rar kol hayom, all day long, mankind was just up to no good he can't really regret because that would suggest a change change of heart a change of mind there are more radical consequences and this these consequences are for, for how language manages to grapple on to the divine reality how we're we really able to describe god and the rambam opts for a remarkably um negative theology right that's to use the the uh, technical language. What does that mean? It means not that we can't really. Sense. Pardon? Not in a value sense. Not in a value sense. Not, not, not like it's bad or God is bad or something. But but in in a linguistic sense, which is, uh, we can say what God isn't, but we can't say what God is. Now, why is that? Well, if God is the first cause, the uncaused cause, then two things follow. The first thing 
is that God cannot be complex. He cannot have parts. Because if he had parts, you'd be able to ask, well, what caused those parts to come together? And that, that would be to posit a cause that's prior to God. But the role God plays as the first cause doesn't allow such a thing, so he can't have parts. The second consequence is that God can't fall under any category of species or genus. What does that mean? It means that God, he's above every other species, every other type, every other sort of being. You know, Aristotelian science likes to take all of the things around us and put them into groups. Ah, here's the species dolphin, here's the species chimpanzee, here's the species palm tree. I don't know, you can't put God in any of those categories because he transcends all of them as the first cause. Says Rambam, this is gonna cause us problems whenever we want to talk about God because the way language works is it has a subject predicate grammar. You take a sentence that describes some state of affairs, the ball is red. It has a subject, the ball, and it has a predicate, is red. And what you're doing when you assert that sentence is you're taking some entity, the ball, and you're placing it under a category, redness. But God doesn't fall under any category because he's the first cause. So you shouldn't be able to utter any sentence about him. This is problematic, of course, because I've already said quite a lot about, about God. In fact, it reminds me of Bertrand Russell's introduction to Wittgenstein's Tractatus. A lot of the book talks about what can't be spoken about. And Russell wrote in the introduction, readers will notice that Mr. Wittgenstein has a lot to say about that which can't be said. Right? So, you know, we've said all these things about God, he's the first cause, he's there, but it turns out actually, if you really follow the Rambam closely, I'm not sure you're even allowed to say he's the first cause because that puts him under the category of cause, right? Which is kind of almost paradoxical. And I think the Rambam's saying, look, this is the best we can kind of do with our language. You have to say something. Okay, so where does this lead me with, first of all, first of all, let me say, it's not clear to me the Rambam's right about all of these things. It's not clear to me that every time we use language, we're placing one thing underneath another thing in, 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 you know, in the way the Rambam formulates. Chastai um, Crescus, another great Sephardi philosopher, as, as, as I'm being hosted by the Spanish and Portuguese, you know, I want to, want to bring, um, there you go. Um, so I, so Chastai Crescus in, in Or Hashem, he says, no, 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 there's no problem. What, what I mean when I say the ball is red is it's like other red things, <laughs> okay? There's a, there's a group of things which share a certain type of similarity and the ball belongs to that group of things. Whenever you're dealing with perfections like wisdom, strength, virtue, goodness, even beauty, what you really mean is that things are similar to God in a certain respect. It's not that, oh, all beautiful things fall under the category beautiful. No, 
all beautiful things are beautiful insofar as they resemble God in a certain respect. It's very Platonic. It's very Platonic, that's right, whereas Rambam was very Aristotelian. And Crescus, as far as I'm aware, Crescus was the most prominent Sfardi rationalist to be anti-Aristotelian. I mean, he was like, he was rabidly anti was under the Rambam. <laughs> like, that's right, well, that's right. So, so, so Crescus didn't think that God's perfection or his simplicity um, rendered language impotent in the face of God in quite the radical way that the Rambam does. And the Rambam wasn't even the first. I think Sajigaon in Amunot Adeyot takes, takes an equally uh, uh, austere and kind of forbidding attitude to, to you know, to, or to, to what re religious language can hope to achieve. But I have to report to you, like, I study philosophy, so you might think I, I'm supposed to be somewhat intellectually sophisticated. But when I turn to God in prayer, I'm not thinking about the unmoved mover that can't be described at all. And I'm not relating to God as something that is impassable, that can't be changed or moved. On the contrary, I hope he can be moved, that he can be moved by my prayers. And I hope he, so to speak, can be changed, can be changed by my prayers. And what's more, I think, you know, Rabbi Sachs had this beautiful phrase, Zechad Sadiq Racha. He said that prayer is phatic communication. What is phatic communication? It, 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 it relies upon this Polish linguist who he was quoting, who says that when two people are conversing with one another, there's a certain experience of just conversing that can't really be captured just by the words being said. So the phatic communication is kind of what's communicated underneath the words. And says Rabbi Sachs, when you stand in silent prayer, you listen to God listening to you. And it's an act of phatic communication. But to me, phatic communication is meaningless if God isn't a person, a person with whom I can converse a person with whom I can stand in interpersonal relations. I think the covenant of the Bible is also, uh, you know, the covenantal relationship between God and his people is a personal relationship. And it's rendered somehow, I don't know, lifeless uh, if God is as unmoving as uh, Maimonides would have it. So. So that's kind of the challenge I want to lay down for, 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 for Rabbi Dweck. And I want to hear how he responds. Then afterwards, if we have any time, I think there are some interesting philosophical questions to ask about prayer. Like, um, how can we expect, on whatever our theology, how can any Orthodox Jew believe um, that if God forbid someone was sick, your prayers would change it? Because if, 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 God, if it's somehow God's will that they're going to be sick, then they're going to be sick whether or not you pray for them. And it would, be, it would be a horrible God who made somebody sick only so that you should pray for them, right? So that if you didn't pray for them, they'd stay sick. Like, I mean, what? So there are, certain, there are certain kind of 
more basic philosophical questions that I think it would be interesting to address about prayer. But I think, like I said, I'm casting myself in the role of prov provocateur because I thought I'd say things that I know would really rile Rabbi Dweck, um, um, that the Rambam's God is somehow not the sort of God I would want to kind of commune with. Um, and he kind of renders prayer um, um, lifeless and renders the covenantal relationship with the Jewish people lifeless. And I know that Rabbi Dweck is something of a Maimonidean. So I would, thought I would, I would lay that down and, and, and see what he has to say in response. Thank you, Rabbi Sam. The first thing that I'll say, it takes a lot more than that to rile me up. Oh, I'll try harder <laughs> next time, Rabbi Dweck. But it's a good try. It was a good try. <laughs> <laughs> poke, poke at the Rambam, you definitely get a- That's get what a, I thought. Raised from me. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, perhaps I'll say something a touch provocative to the audience. I don't know that it'll be provocative to you. Look, I think that I think that God thinks that the God of the Rambam is a difficult one to relate to. And it's for that reason that he represents himself in Torah as a character in the book, as as a relatable being. Because, you know, not to speak on behalf, I don't speak on behalf of the Rambam. I speak only in terms of my understanding of the Rambam, which is all I've got. All I've got is my understanding. It's all any of us have. My, my understanding of Rambam is that while I, and I believe that Rambam, I mean, there's clear indication in the Moreh, that Harambam was quite um, focused on, quite insistent over the fact that it is important for us to understand or to at least grasp on, a, some, on some level. And he writes in the Moray, this, this should even be told to children, right? You, you tell children, God is not physical, right? Make sure that you don't do this. this is, to think this, as far as the Rambam is concerned, is an affront to God, right? And he writes this explicitly in the Moray Menuchim that as far as Harambam is concerned, we need to know that God in reality, and again, as we say these things, right, we are, we are, we are borrowing. We are borrowing because we have otherwise, like it says in this, the Pasuk in Tehilim, lecha tehila. The only real praise to God is silence. Because what are we going to say, right? You know, like that famous Mara and Brachot that, uh, you know, you, you, Guy, guy went up to go pray and started throwing all of these predicates and, and uh, you know, adjectives onto God and, uh, and was told to shut up because <laughs> when are you done? How are you supposed to? So look, we, we recognize without getting into those theological aspects, Harambam, almost with every fiber of his being, his mission in life was to get people to recognize that God, capital G, O-D, is not this figure that is presented in the Torah, in his exalted self, right? And I, I believe that Harambam spent so much time and so much focus in bringing that into the, the Jewish consciousness, which he, he definitely succeeded a great deal in doing. Um, because he recognized- I mean, just, just interject. In, in order to support your point, I mean, it's you can't find a Jew today really who thinks yeah. that God has a body, right? right? 
when, and, when and, and it really was before the Rambo. He really did believe it. Some sort of a body, right? Yeah. yeah. People don't realize that that was really believed. <laughs> they do in the same way that that the world does not realize the impact of the Jewish Bible on the entire psyche of humanity. They don't realize the impact. The Jews don't realize the impact of Hanan Bauman are thinking about God. Yeah, and 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 so to whatever degree he succeeded, he succeeded, and he felt he felt that that was absolutely essential in terms of, of our awareness of God. Um, I do not believe that Harambam felt that we should not relate to God nonetheless as a character in the book. Um, I think what, he, what was important for him was for us to know all the while that Although I have opening, I have allowance to interact in ways that I can relate to. And that, by the way, you know, uh, this is for our audience. I'm not saying anything that, the, that Rabbi Sam doesn't know, but I, th for our audience, it's indicated explicitly in Torah in many places. And where God says to us, Agadosh Baruch Hu says, look, uh, I'll tell you how I deal with you. You know, like you know, you're you know, when a dad is 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 chastising or punishing a kid, you know, there's love there. It's a dad. It's not a Hashem Elohecha miyaserek. Hashem yaser yishet beno Adonai Elohecha miyaserek. Okay, you can you can relate to me that way, or you know, you look at the last Navi, you look at Malachi, and the whole thing is the whole thing is imavani. You know, if I'm well, if I'm a father, where's my couple? If you, I'm a master to you. If I'm a master, where's my Where's my reverence? You know what? I don't like what you're bringing me in all honesty. You're putting these horrible uh, korbanot up. They're blind. They're maimed. They're... Why don't you go and bring it to your governor? See if he likes it. Governor, my governor is not God. You know, but if you wouldn't bring it to your governor, you really shouldn't assume that you should bring it to me. I'm telling you over and over and over and over again, relate to me as humans relate. Because... What some people, I think, mistake Harambam for thinking is that God bumped into these humans somewhere and said, oh, wow, what am I going to do with these things? You know, let me let me help them out with like korbanot and things like that. And they forget that, of course, Harambam is aware that, that, that God created these beings and that we are the way that we are and relate the way that we relate because that is how we were created. That's That's what we developed in terms of our being. So... I think that what Harambam wanted us to know was, yes, relate to God as a human being would relate. Remember, though, that God is not you. And he felt that that needed to always be in the, in the mindset, in the wiring of, of the human being. But that we recognize we will talk about God loving being angry, being jealous, being zealous, yeah, all of these things, we are open to uh, we are open to thinking and engaging with. And I think that Harambam definitely brought that in because you know when he writes about how we should relate to God, he says, you know, it's like infatuated love between lovers. That's how you're supposed to, that's how you're supposed to, oh, I mean, can you get more human and physical and, and, and embedded in emotion than that? So that's very confusing, Harambam. You know, you're on the one hand, you're telling me at the beginning of the book 
that he doesn't stand, he doesn't sit, he doesn't love, he doesn't hate, he doesn't everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I've taught that that section in the Rambam many times, and it is it is and I, to your to your point, right? It is without fail the most frustrating, upsetting, impossible to accommodate halachot that people have. I mean, I literally watch people time and time again get up from the table. When we used to, there was a time where where we used to sit at a table with people. Oh yeah, oh yeah, with other people actually remember. there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was very interesting, and people would be able to sit and talk to each other without yeah. worrying that they were going to kill each other when they were. Yeah, talking. but you couldn't mute them. No, which was unfortunate. <laughs> we had other ways of of muting them, but it was usually much more hard <laughs> than just the mute button. Yeah, so that's there's no question about the fact that that is understood and recognized that to accommodate that God right into our relatable lives is is to bridge that is practically impossible. That's not to say, and I think this is an important caveat, which I'm, I don't want to harp on, but it's not to say that as I hold that in my mind, right, the 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 transcendent, unmoved mover God, right. Which I would say, incidentally, I don't think is exactly the same as, as Arist Aristotle's God. But nonetheless, what happens is as a human being matures, the nature of relationship matures, the nature of interaction matures, and, and that develops, which, which is fine. But we can't be more religious about it than the Torah itself, right? Than God himself. Yeah. So when God is saying to me, yeah, you know how I how I rejoice over you like a like a like a hatan rejoices over his kala. Oh, so so wait, I'm allowed to look at that and relate to my relationship with you based on how I experience that? No, oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's that's right. So there one cannot negate that that is absolutely in the picture. And I believe that Harambam brought that into the picture. I think. Perhaps, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, and you will tell me, and maybe this is the, the place where we differ, right? Yeah. Is to the degree that this is analogous, or the degree that this is this is an opening for me to be able to be in my full humanity with God, all the while knowing that God is not just another human being that I'm interacting with. And I don't know necessarily how, what the mechanisms are of how that interaction occurs with such an entity that is unchanging. But mm -hmm. I also don't know it in the exact same way, Rab Sam, mm -hmm. as my existence in that thing, right? And that God. I don't know how the heck that happens because if he's unchanging, which is exactly what Arambam is putting forth, which is, you know, the way that we have tended to begin, you know, think about God, you and I shouldn't be here. There shouldn't be an allowance for that. That too is an aberration as much as anything else that we're presenting is an aberration. So I don't know how that happens, Sam. I don't know. But well, I, I nonetheless, through my experiential awareness, accept the paradox of that being the case, right? And accept, and I'll close and open, you know, and hear what, you, what your response is, and accept that I have full license to be my fully human self in my interactions with God. And to expect that I should, I should experience the same in my experience from him, even though he may not have the oxytocin that I have, he may not have the meat brain that I have, may not have the, you know, 
So, so the protoplasm. So that's what, what my initial response to, to the poem. Okay, that's really useful. F first of all, you, you have rendered the Rambam more attractive than I thought Rabbi Dweck's Rambam was last time we spoke. Yeah, I'm full of surprise. So that's, so that's good, okay. So, so but let, let, let me tell you where I think we, we disagree, okay, on, on, a on a few aspects. So, first of all, I, I don't see in the Rambam um, an awareness of the paradox that you raise. The paradox you raise is how could we even exist in the face of God? Right? That seems to me a paradox that becomes much more um, explicit in Jewish thought in, in the Ari, right? In Rav Yitzhak Luria, right? Where the idea is something like God's omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience. There's a sense in which it leaves no room for anything else to exist. I, don't, I actually think that's a, a decent question. I, I share the feeling of a paradox with you there. Okay, I, I don't see that anywhere in the Rambam, but I do see the Rambam say, one question we can never understand is why God created. But I don't, I don't, I well, don't see that- It's a different question. It's a different yeah, I don't see that being exactly the same question. Now, um, I do see paradox in the Rambam, but sadly, I think it's a paradox that could be, in a, there's some paradoxes perhaps we as people of faith can't avoid. Right. Some of the paradoxes that I think the Rambam gets us into perhaps, could be avoided mm -hmm. and let me say why mm -hmm. so you say all these sorts of things like and and i and I, I kind of want to agree you say okay god is this unchanged unchanging transcendent being but he wants us because he recognizes our limitations he wants us to relate to him in certain ways and he's happy with we shouldn't be more as you said we shouldn't be more religious than the bible as long as we realize that the most vulgar kind of things like God having a body and not true, and even children should be told that that's not true. Some of the ways of speaking and thinking in the Bible are just ultimately that they're, they're gonna be necessary for us. That's how God presents himself to us. But, but all of those things we're saying, according to the Rambam, can't be said. None, right? of, the, none of it can be said. None of the, nothing right. you're saying could be said either. <laughs> I know, well, I know, well, that's, Crescus would allow me to say it, right? There are, there are other kind of philosophical models that would allow us to speak uh, more about God. So I think that the Rambam kind of uh, brings up. Now, on the other hand, I think that the Rambam's place in history, you know, the mystic in me who thinks about, you know, every great Rav that, 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 that rises in Am Yisrael had a specific role to play in a, spe a specific kind of tafkid in, in um our intellectual and spiritual journey, I think maybe it took somebody as extreme as the Rambam to wean us off some of these obvious falsehoods like God's corporeality, right? He's having a body, I don't but, know. right? But do we need to be quite as extreme as the Rambam and to say, and, and, and here's the thing. So what, hold, I'm gonna hold you there for a minute only for clarity, for my okay. own clarity. I don't know about everybody else's clarity. When you say quite as extreme as the Rambam, are you talking about quite as extreme in the Rambam and the Rambam's presentation of God? Yes, I think, oh, okay. yeah, I think, um, so first of all, th this, is, this, is, this is more technical than maybe we wanna focus on, but there are some philosophical presuppositions that maybe, you know, if you grow up in a non-Aristotelian world, you don't share. 
right? Um, I think we said, I think I said this in an email to you, Rabbi Dwight. That, well, I okay. want to also pause for one second, right? Yeah. The Rambam didn't grow up in the Aristotelian world. I think that's important to point out. Well, he wrote a At book least on Aristotelian logic as a teenager. He studied Aristotle. Right. His world was not an Aristotelian world. It was not. It was not a Western world. No, but but and it wasn't right. a world that necessarily was raised on 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 Greek philosophy. They brought it in and translated. Yeah, the Rambam, the Rambam the had mindset this. wasn't wasn't wrought in it in the way. That well, the Rambam told us that we we should take natural sciences. We should allow them to take a lead in telling us. We should, um, and that how, doesn't you know, mean that how the world is. is and, and in those days, natural science was Aristotelian. I mean, very, very heavily. And, you know, and some of the things that Aristotle had said about even, you know, the Rambam take, thinks that we shouldn't really trust Aristotle uh, above, the, above the moon, right? There's this cult, cult, kind of hold of, the idea is Aristotle pretty much got what's going on under the moon pretty much reliable. His sciences of biology and physics, whatever. But when it gets to theology and cosmology and, and, and other more abstract sciences, the Rambam got off the boat. But um, even under the moon, Aristotle was wrong about a lot of things. Yes, of course he was. You know, and he was and he was treated by the natural scientists of those times as just almost incredible. Yeah, you know, Galileo jokes about this. You know, Arist Aristotle said that women have fewer teeth than men. Right. He never, he never <laughs> thought to ask Mrs. Aristotle <laughs> to open her mouth, right? <laughs> you know, and, and so, so anyway. I think, I think we don't have to get stuck on this because I don't right. think it's going to make a big difference in our, in our discussion. Mm -hmm. I think it's only I, a point that I'm making. I think that although Harambam adopted learned, studied, espoused many of Aristotle's thoughts. He was not wrought, he was not br brought up in an Aristotelian, shouldn't say, what I mean by Aristotelian is, is a world that was dominated by Greek thought, Greek oh, thought. He grew up in a Torah world. He grew up in, yeah, he grew up in a Torah world and he grew, grew up in a Muslim world, right? And not to say that they didn't bring that in, so yeah. I think that there is a difference in saying that he was an Aristotelian. He was definitely thought and mm -hmm. espoused much of Aristotle, loved Aristotle, said he was close to prophecy, you know, for yeah. Aristotle. But yeah. he wasn't a Western thinker. Yeah. You know, I think that that's, that's an important difference, but not to get bogged down on that. Anymore. So I, I just want to suggest that um, even though I think the Rambam's contribution not just, I mean, it's obvious the contribution to Halakha. I mean, like it, they, it, it's, it goes without saying, but, but his contribution to Machshavan, the way we think about God was essential. I, we can't imagine, you know, what, where Judaism would be without that contribution. Absolutely. Nonetheless, um, he says that, uh, that um, when God is described as having some sort of emotional state, says in the Monovchim, that we should, we should translate that in our minds. I'm, I'm thinking because, because of the um, spontaneous nature of this conversation that my head's thinking more than one thing at once. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I wanna, but, but okay, so let, let me follow this thought, uh, uh, um, this thought first. When, when the Bible presents God as, as having an emotional state, 
um, the Monavuchim gives us a, something like a translation guide. And what we have to do is have to understand what it really means is that God's causal imprint on the universe is the sort of causal imprint at this moment uh, that we would normally attribute to uh, uh, to a, to a if a person had that causal imprint, we would say they're angry or yeah. they're or they're kind or they're whatever. That's that, that's absolutely that, yeah. Right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, in the sorts of Jewish philosophical theology that interest me, the world and 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 this is this is the response to that paradox you raised that I don't see in the Rambam. The paradox, how can there even be a world uh, in the presence of God's bigness, right? In some sense of the word bigness. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can there even be a world? How is there room for a world? I think one response to that is that the appearances of the world, the, the appearances around us, right? Philosophers of, often make the, the distinction between the phenomena and the noumena following Kant, right? The way things appear to us and the way things really are. Mm-hmm. One response to the problem that the Arizal raises is just the world, the world is only appearance from God's point of view, right? So, so there isn't a, so, so the paradox is somewhat, somewhat tamed. The idea is from God's point of view, there isn't really a world outside of God. It's all just appearance. And from our point of view, this thing that, that, that for God is merely appearance, that is reality. Right, um, this cup of coke—it's—it's uh, it's bad for me. I know it's bad for me. I, my, my son was looking at the ingredients and he saw phosphoric acid. Is that that? Is that okay? <laughs> you, you do, no, it's bad for me. The thing is, <laughs> thing is, if God wants me to experience the phenomenal experiences, experiences I'm having of this cup and this coke. God doesn't need to actually put anything physical in the world. He can just put those phenomena right into my, you know, consciousness straight away. Don't necessarily need anything physical to be there other than it's God's virtual. willing. You're saying it's, it's virtual. virtual. It's virtual. Virtual reality. A, a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Now, the Rambam goes far enough when he says, he goes quite far when he says, God appears to us as if he has emotions and he's this and he's well, I, I want to follow some Jewish philosophers and say, well, if that's the way he appears, there's a very deep and real sense in which that's the way he is, not in his transcendence, right? But so to speak, that, that's how he's manifest down here on earth. And we can really, I just think that's a God that's much more relatable. So I, that's what I, so I hear what you're saying. And but it's you think that, it's the one, is that one line, hold on. There's that one line, not as he is in his transcendent, mm-hmm. And I think that once you say that, then you can have dinner with the Rambam. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, no, I, I, I would I, really I, like to. Not that, not that, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, you know, Sam, now it's okay. You, you, <laughs> you can do it. I'm not trying to get you reconciled with the Rambam. I'm simply saying, when I hear you say that, yeah, um, because I will say, you know, without, without, without qualms, I, I hold of the Rambam's God. <laughs> I, 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 that's my God. So, you know, when I hear you say that, I, what you just said, yeah. And I also, by the way, I don't think in my, in my understanding of Rabbeinu Hari and the way that he puts out the, 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 the thoughts problem. in Tzum and the Sefirot and, 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 and so on, I find there to be no contradiction. As a matter of fact, 
I wonder, you know, how they would have spoken. I think it's one of the reasons why I personally believe it's one of the reasons why the Ari, at least in terms of how it is that Maharhur Bihaim Vital puts him out, um, rejected all of the Spanish Kabbalists, yeah. mm -hmm. was because they weren't sensitive to Rambam. They don't say this outright, but if you yes, read- that's an interesting example, hypothesis. Right? Yeah. Sorry? That's an interesting hypothesis. Yeah, yeah I'm no, but Because if you read, for example, the Hakdamat Ashar Hakdamot, which is where really where Maharhu gets into this, don't anthropomorphize, you know, even though that's all we're doing over here, don't do it for real, right? The, the, the entire Hakdamat Ashar Hakdamot is that. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and, it's, and it's fiery language. And you think you're reading the Morene Buchim, right? You think yeah. you're reading, oh, like, you know, the, 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 are they channeling Harambam and all of this? And so when I hear you say what you say, I hear the same. Now, one of two things could be, well, many things could be happening, but one of two things could be happening. Either I am rationalizing everything that you say into, you know, understanding it as I want to understand it, or I hear you saying in your description of the Ari, yeah, what I understood in, in the Ari, and I don't hear there to be discrepancy in that yet, right? I don't know, I don't know where you're going with this. And what mm -hmm. you're saying is, look, that's my experience. Yeah. That is my experience. And, it's and that's real in a sense. And that is real in the virtual sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that's an that's an interesting discussion because you know, you look at you look at the recent writings of Donald Hoffman, yeah, who, who wrote a book <coughs> called what was the name of his book? What's the name of the book? Say that. Um, the case against reality. Yeah, that's his book. Mm -hmm. If you haven't read it, phenomenal. I've seen it. Right. So, what is he? What is his? What is his? His 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 suggestion. His suggestion is reality is not at all what it is that we experience. Right. The entirety is an evolutionary development that that creates icons for us to better navigate. And for the people you know listening, because I'm probably not being very clear about it, because quite abstract, is that is that if you in the same way that you look at a file on your desktop, yeah, you know that that file is not that file, right? It's not it's not mm -hmm. blue. It's not that size. It's not that. It's code. It's yeah, but it's manifest on the desktop mm -hmm. or your interface. If you had to move that file or open that file instead of using the interface that's presented to you, which makes it possible for you to do, I mean, the, the, the level of code and whatnot for a regular person to be able to, to, to deal with, or even for a coder, it's just not viable. It doesn't work. We would never be able to have the computers do the work that we do with the computers that we have. So you say, well, then it's not real. Good, drag it to the, to the trash can, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, whatever it is that manifests, however it is manifesting in the real world is what it is. But to us, the reality is how it is that we see it and understand it. We're meant to deal with it that way. Mm -hmm. And but we're meant see, to understand it that way. And yes, I would say to the same extent, God is meant to be understood in, and dealt with. To in these kind of personal terms. That way, in a very real sense, virtual reality, but a very real sense nonetheless, because what is reality at the end of the day in terms of how it is that we perceive? So, so see, I do know that the file is not that file in its code. And I do know that God is not that. He's that, but yeah, it's okay, so, right? So, so, so far, I agree with you. I yeah. really agree with all of this. So let's and get I don't, to the in part. <laughs> I don't think, you're, I don't think you're, you're reading the Rambam into me. My, my fear is that what you've said 
is not the Rambam. Is in a little bit in tension with the Rambam, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you where I think the tension lies. Mm-hmm. I, I think, for instance, in the chapter in the Morn of Uchim, where the Rambam cites the pasuk from Tehillim that you mentioned in passing, yeah, um, um, yeah. that uh, uh, silence is praise of you. It looks for all the world, and maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if you think I'm wrong, but it looks t- to me, to all the world, as if the Rambam is saying, look, it's really unfortunate that because we're wired the way we're wired, we need words to talk about God. If it were, if we were somehow wired better, you know, maybe per impossible, because we shouldn't criticize God's design plan for us, perhaps it's the best we can be given that with a mixture of, of, uh, of physical body and, and, and a soul. But, you know, were it possible, wouldn't it be wonderful if we never had to relate to God in these crude and personal ways? Whereas, so that, that seems to be the attitude that I see in the Rambam. Whereas what you're describing to me sounds more like this, look, it's fine to relate to God in those ways. There's nothing regrettable about it at all because God made us in a certain way. He made the universe in a certain way such that he would be manifest to us in a certain way. And as long as we don't confuse these kind of God as he is manifest to us and God as he really is, as long as we don't think God has a body, as long as we recognize that God is actually transcendent and perfect and whatever, it's, it's not unfortunate in the slightest, it's great. Right. Go and have, go and forge that personal relationship with God. I don't see that in the Rambam. Yeah, so I, I, see think that's is... where we, I think that's where we differ. And I think that I, I think we do. I, again, I think a few things, right? One, I think that Harambam is not saying, damn those human beings. <laughs> if we just had better ones, right? If we had better models, yeah, they were able to do this. And it's interesting because he touches on this um in the in this i think it's in the first helic maybe it's in the third i don't remember i think i have to remember where it is i'm confusing it too but it's where he talks about the korbanot right uh-huh. where he uses, third, where he uses, third helic i'm pretty sure it's right? the third yeah. yeah so it's the third helic i think it's the 33rd chapter i wasn't sure if it was first or third so it makes sense that it would be in the third helic. um and he writes over there. I mean, the way, again, the way that I read it, he says, look, ideally, not even ideally, based on God, right? What we should tell people is just sit and think. Mm-hmm. But that's not who we are. And God knows it's not who we are. And of course, he didn't tell us to do that because it's not who we are. So he brought this to us in order to be able to, in, in his sensitivity, to who it is that we are. So one can read into that, that God is dismayed with the fact that we're not ready yet ready. Yeah, I not suppose that's human. what I'm, I suppose yeah, that, so I, that's I the tone that's I'm really hearing. That's a really, I'm glad that you brought that out, right? Mm-hmm. And if, if it was just to have that discussion for this point, for me, it's worth it. Yeah. It's always worth it to talk to you, Rupshan. Thank you. I'm saying, uh, this, this for me, I can sleep tonight and say, I'm happy we spoke about this. Because mm-hmm. I do think that because of Harambam's emphatic mission in life to deprogram what he would consider idolatry, right? Mm-hmm. It came off with that negative tone, 
right? Yeah. Came on the you day. don't think that's essential to you don't I even don't think that's part think of his message. I don't think it's essential to Bam at all. Yeah. And his and the way that he thought. I think that he was a warrior. And mm -hmm. oftentimes when you see a warrior in the midst of battle, you think mm -hmm. like, yeesh, you know, this guy is not happy, right? So, mm -hmm. But when you recognize that that warrior is fighting for things that are beautiful and that he wants these things to be able to hold in their true manifestations for us. And I don't mean mm -hmm. the transcendent things. I mean the physical mm -hmm. things, that they should be what they are meant to be for us. Yeah. We, we sometimes throw the baby out with the bathwater. We lose that nuance in it. And so I see markers in Haram Bam that indicate that. That's one of them. Mm. That's the way I read it, right? The way I read it is, That's That's how I read that pasuk. I don't know. Right? How do I read it? You know, we're not taking yeah. them to the Pilishtim. Yeah. They're not ready yeah. to handle that. We need to be, we need to give them what, what they can handle and they should be able to relate in the way that they can handle. Doesn't mean I'm not going to challenge them. Doesn't mean we're not going to try and bring them through to their capacity. That's why I was saying that as we grow in our awareness and nature of, of relationship, we grow in our sophistication and, and subtlety and we do things in, in, in greater flow. It's like uh, Benjamin Zander. Yeah, I mean, it's just to, to give a sense of what it is that I mean by that, right? So Benjamin Zander is a world-class you know, uh, conductor, musician, um, classical music. He talks, he, he, he shows the difference between a, a beginner's play on the piano and, and a master's play on the piano and the flow between them. So the pulses change. So first it's a pulse on every note, then it's a pulse on every second note. Then it's a pulse on every third or fourth note. And then there's a flow in where the music is able to manifest. I hear that, and, and that, that's the difference between a childish way of relating to the world and where it's quite deliberate, it's quite focused, and flow of manifestation of self, of experience, of what, what have you, right? And our relationships are very much the same. And so when I say that, that, that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is like, we bring them up, that's what I mean, right? Not to stop being human. We never stop being human. We never, we never shed the millions of years of evolution yeah, that, are, that are in us. And that's why I read Harambam that way, because even though Harambam ne didn't necessarily know about evolution, right? he talks about it at the opening of that chapter, which you'll, which you'll recognize, he talks about what it means to be a mammal and, and the, the large heads that we have that create these long childhoods because we have to come out early. So it, mm -hmm. he talks about what a human being is. Mm -hmm. Before he actually talks about why korbanot and so on, there's this tremendous sensitivity to the to the human and earthy physicality. And the second thing, there are more, but I'll, I'm not going to hog the, the you know the the the, situ the the discussion is that that halacha in Hilchot Teshubah. He he's not careful if the Rambam is trying to eradicate this right? Eradicate the human feeling, emotion, interaction with God, nonetheless, right? Mm -hmm. He's sloppy. He's, he, it's the worst thing that he could do. He didn't need to give that example, right? When he gave it. No, this is how a, a, a passionate lover, yeah, can't eat, can't sleep. And not only that, the whole of Shira Shirim, Mashallah mm -hmm. Davarze, right? That's mm -hmm. all presenting. The entirety, yeah. Time. What is it? 
Yeah, the entirety. It's it, the whole it, thing. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. The, the the you know. I mean, you look at at the tovim dodecha. I mean, it's the most erotic. You know, and that's why nobody wants to translate Shira Shirim. You know, you find, go go find a literal translation of Shira Shirim. You have to like, you know, pay someone in a dark alley to give you to give you a yeah. Everybody's allegorizing, and so and Harambam is saying, no, no, read it. That that's how that's the most sloppy, most irresponsible thing that you could do, Rambam. How could you do that? How could you spend all of your time writing this to me at the opening thing? And then that's what you tell me at the end of the book. Literally, he starts the book with no emotion, no anything, to the end of like, yeah, passionate love, saliva, embrace, you know, full. <laughs> so my suggestion is, right? Yeah. In the reading of Arambam, and and I, I also say this because, and I don't want this to have to come off as, you know, a defense of the Rambam's humanity, but mm -hmm. it also, for me, in reading Rambam's letters, which I think is very important, yeah, yeah, you see this, this profound humanity in a man that otherwise in his own, in his other work seems to be mm -hmm. this, you know, this so, so, non-feeling, yeah. cold, analytical individual. Mm -hmm. And you feel, you see the deep humanity. When Harambam talks about the death of his brother, when Harambam yeah. talks about the fact that he can't get up off the couch every time he sees his handwriting, when he talks about you know, the, the interactions that he has with people, the, the, the friendships that he has, you know, you didn't write to me. When my father died, he says you know, to, to Yefeta Dayan, how could you? So even Hillel would get angry, you know, he writes to the so. All of that to say that I don't think Harambam wants you and me and everyone else yeah. to pretend that we are not human. What he wants us is not to pretend that God is not God. I, I like that. Um, I agree. I love the letters of the Rambam. I think they also give you a, a, a much deeper appreciation sometimes of the philosophy. The one example just you talk about the depression that he, it was basically depression that he, oh, yeah. that he suffered, in, you know, yeah, after the death of his brother. Mm -hmm. And his brother died in, in, in a shipwreck. Mm -hmm. And in the Mon of Uchim, when, when the Rambam des describes Hashkacha Pratit, one of the examples he gives yes. is if Hashem wants, Hashem can, can give a person a, a sense of foreboding not to get on a ship mm -hmm. that, might, that, might, that might sink, right? Absolutely. And, and it's, 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 just a, it's not just a thought experiment. It's something very, you know, anyway. So, so I, I accept that. I, I, you've reminded me of a joke. So Stalin receives a, 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 a telegram from Trotsky. And it says, uh, you were right. I was wrong. I should apologize. And Stalin is, is like, oh, that's fabulous. Like, I thought, oh, wow. And then one of his advisors says, Stalin, you don't realize he's Jewish. You have to write, read it with the right intonation. I was wrong. <laughs> you were right. I should apologize. <laughs> and it seems, it seems to me that part of the difference between uh, you and me in reading the Rambam is, is kind of how we're hearing the tone of the Rambam. That's right. And, and that's, that's interesting to me. And I recognize you're right. We, we would be wrong to dehumanize the Rambam, given what we know about him. I still feel, nonetheless, um, that that he imposes more constraints upon religious language than are strictly philosophically necessary, perhaps because I'm more platonic than I am Aristotelian, and we could talk about that another time. Um, and, and, and I worry 
that even though there are those places, like you say, where his humanity really comes out, that there are other places where at least it still sounds to me like he well, kind I mean, of you can also you can also immense the fact. Point, point out the fact that he hated all poetry <laughs> or that yes, he exactly, well indeed like indeed. no more poetry yeah. you know so it's possible that a person that that you know there was there was in Two the zealous in the zealous fight yeah right. yeah okay yeah. i, I it's, it's ironic that he says he hates poetry because there are some places where he gives a pasuk in Tehillim. first of all where he writes where he writes poetry but i was thinking you know, in 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 Tehillim, when it says "Al Mabul Yashav," Hashem Al Mabul Yashav, right? He he sits on the flood. Rambam has the most poetic reading of that verse. That, how can that come from a person who says, Precisely. "I hate poetry"? <laughs> right. So what well, I think that he he didn't hate poetry qua poetry. He didn't like what the poets were doing. Yeah. yeah he he yeah. was like, you know. So. But I just I want to respond. Saying I hear what you're saying. I think one of the most important things. That, that you brought out tonight, which I think is really, really something for everyone to think about, certainly myself included, is that point of the virtual reality yeah. and what is reality yeah. and to you know the degree to which it is understood that the reality that I perceive is deeply real. Yes, and, is, and that and we shouldn't feel like babies. Right, it's endorsed by the uh -huh. Torah. We and shouldn't that, feel. Yeah. And in that light and in that sense, that all Harambam was doing was trying to say, but you're wearing virtual reality goggles. And just be aware of that. Know that, right? And you'll forget, yes. but I'm, I'm yes. telling you, know that because you, yeah. Like that, I said, yeah. if that, so if I, I thought, think that we probably, maybe, I don't know, yeah. for tonight in this discussion, yeah. Yeah. we are more, we are more, uh, you know, on the same, on the same plane than, than I, than I anticipated. No, no, I agree. I think it's literally, um, there's a matter of tone here. But in terms of uh, um, how I would like the if I would like to believe you're right about the Rambam because that's a theology I can get I can get behind. I just want to say somebody made a a, a comment to me in, in private chat about the Rambam's belief in an unchanging God and and, and Chabad Kabbalistic thoughts. Now I <laughs> I I told the rabbi I trimmed my moustache before this talk so that people shouldn't think I'm a Chabad. I so I will just put in a shameless plug, which is that I have a book called The Principles of Judaism. It's out with Oxford University Press. It's ridiculously expensive. If people want to, uh, uh, if people really do want to buy it rather than get it out of a library, they can email me. I can get them a discount, 30% discount. But th there I speak about how I think Hasidic philosophy relates to some of these things we've been talking about, uh, Rabbi Dway. But I also just wanted to say, in, in relation to what you've, what you've said, it was very important, I think, in the times of the Rambam to emphasize this notion yeah. that it is just virtual reality, that God beyond is bigger than, 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 than the things that we're imagining. Yeah. On the other hand, I think maybe today, in the world we're living in now, especially, you know, people are feeling very isolated, very alone, very, you know, these are really difficult. You and I were talking before, before you opened up to everybody about some of the challenges of these, yeah. Corona times, especially for more vulnerable vulnerable people, mm. that they shouldn't feel babyish, yeah. reaching out to God um, as a person, Absolutely. person to person. I I, and, I agree with that one hundred percent. You know, Rav Lichtenstein said, important. I think it's yeah, very Rav Lichtenstein, the Racha said, the the midrashim disagree about Avraham. Was he like a middle aged philosopher when he found God, or was he a three year old? Right. And, and Rav, Rav Aram said, 
in our relationship with God, we, we need to be both. The Rambam Paskins both, interestingly. That's right. It's amazing. He Paskins, Paskins both. <laughs> Paskins both. tells you also, to me, also, that says that it is a journey. Yeah, it's a journey. So, uh, yes, I think that the point you make is so important that, yeah, the prayer that way, to be able to reach out to God that way is, exactly. is absolutely essential. And, and, uh, and the Torah expects for us to be able to relate that way. May so, our prayers yeah. be answered. It was it was it was worth waiting all day to have this conversation with you, Rav, Rav Sam. Thank I'm you, so Rav. grateful for your time and for your your openness to it and for reaching out and and you suggest. You. Well, I just feel I feel I feel blessed and I feel blessed to know you, Rabbi Dwight, because I, I think I, that I think there are not enough rabbis in pulpits and communities around the world who take philosophy and theology really really seriously. That, that Judaism is not just about keeping halachot. That's very important. It is. It's essential. Um, and it's not just about a voodoo spiritualism that, that people just kind of repeat because they've heard from others, but it's about thinking and to have a pulpit rabbi who, who wants to encourage people to think about theology. It's really not a small thing. So I'm, I'm really grateful to know you and for your service. Thank you for that. And I'm grateful to you for writing the book. Thank you. I really, really, you know, please keep, please do more. Please do more. But I, I you know, I encourage everyone. I think that uh, we've put it up on the chat, the link to it yeah. on the chat. Thank you. Very valuable. So Sam, be well and healthy. Briut etana, nehorama alia. And to thank everybody who, who joined thank us tonight, thank you so much for the time and for your for your presence. And I'm for, sorry there wasn't time for questions, but yeah, if people uh, want to be in touch. We carried away, didn't we? Yeah, if people want to be in touch. You can send your questions to of Sam. And he'll answer. <laughs> Please do. I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> By all means. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Take Shabbat care. Shalom. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom.